guys, welcome to Slash Report. I'm Prue, and I am joined in person this time by my partner in crime, MK. What up? Hi. So, if you can't tell, I'm she's not back in New York. I'm up in Toronto, and it's been a really fun weekend. Yeah, it was good. We had the meetup. We've been eating a lot of things. And Quest- sitting, questionable things. Questionable things. Sitting around and, like, scantily clad on the couch. Very, very homoerotic. Watching Food Network, as you do. So, so sexy. Yeah. And, like, joint playing Mario Kart. All the sexiness. So. <laughs> <laughs> but the meetup was interesting, in case you didn't make it. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> there were a couple glitches. Yes. Which were not my fault. Despite what I say. Yeah, she'll say it's my fault, but they weren't. So we were temporarily locked out of the board games cafe because their manager's phone was dead and they, like, couldn't find the keys and nobody else had keys. And it was beautiful. It was really beautiful. And then when we got in, despite me having, like, emailed them ahead of time, guys, to be like, there's going to be a lot of ladies showing up, like, between 12 and 20 ladies. So we're going to need a lot of space. They were like, yeah, it's fine. Just sit at this table that's made for, like, eight people. Yeah, and then, like, once about half of our crew got there, they were like, oh, wait. Oh, you meant it. Yeah, so then we had to go to the back room. They pushed a bunch of tables together for us, at which point the confused but, you know, game for it, Israeli tourists on their honeymoon (laughs) wandered into our game of Cards Against Humanity. (laughs) Yeah, And, I mean, okay, one, Israeli tourists on their honeymoon, two, our podcast. Like, think about our podcast for a second. (laughs) And these poor, lovely people were like, so how do you guys all know each other? (laughs) And uh, I think I ended up saying something like, uh, yeah, we run a nerd girl podcast and and we're having a meetup. And then, of course, MK is well-meaning, but... It's because he's from Toronto, because we're from Toronto, right? And everyone here is a nerd. Well-meaning, polite friend was like, oh yeah, it's the Slash Report podcast. And I was like, if they go home and look that up. They could be arrested. It's on your, it's on your, (laughs) may it lie on your head for all time. Scar them forever. Just hope they don't look it up when they go to visit her grandmother. In Detroit, in the other leg of their honeymoon. We were like, please say that you're going somewhere other than Toronto and Detroit. And they were like, oh yeah, we're going to Niagara Falls. But they were like, kind of embarrassed. And we were like, no, that's good. That's a good place to go on a honeymoon. That's like a totally normal honeymoon location. Yeah. Unlike, frankly, Toronto. Like, I'm definitely Detroit. Definitely Detroit. I'm like, I love Toronto, but it's not a honeymoon destination, right? No. Like, unless you are the biggest Leafs or Jays fan or something. Which, if you are, like, that's kind of weird. Look at your life. Look at your choices. Right? Like, we, we don't win. We don't win anything. So, really, wouldn't you rather go somewhere where you could win for your honeymoon or just have a lot of sex in a beautiful location? Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, they were lovely. We feel really badly that they had to wind up spending part of their honeymoon with the Slash Report and, like, 17 (laughs) fangirls. It was pretty great. But then eventually, uh, I think we faked them out by taking a break, and so they headed out. And then that's when the ultra-terribleness started. Oh, God. But we did. We did. The, The great thing that we took away from this experience is that we created two beautiful haikus one of which is the distillation of MK as a person. I hate you. Which was lumberjack fantasies, swiftly reaching orgasm, bees? <laughs> Perfect. Perfection. Good, good. And you just remember these aren't real haikus. This is like a part of Cards Against Humanity where you pick three cards and arrange them just like three cards that make the form of a haiku without any of the rules of a haiku. Yeah. But the important part is we had lumberjack fantasies and bees. Yeah, it was beautiful. I'm glad that you had those cards all in your hand at one time. I did. It was it was like the it was like destiny knew that I would need a way to describe your secret pervert life. Those came into your hand and you were like, Yes. I was like, well the only person that this could be talking about is MK, obviously. Well, that's like I kind of regret showing you the Nubile Slave Boys card before <laughs> I played it. But I was like, who could I Oh, Prue. Yeah. Yeah. So Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I do love me some nubile slave boys. Who doesn't? But only if they're nubile, and only if they're slave boys. Obviously. Other nubile combinations don't work for me. Also, just caveat, guys, if you've never played Cards Against Humanity... <laughs> God, you need to get on that. Yeah, I'm not going to explain it now. Just trust us that it is the perfect game for this meetup. It's great. And uh, I'm sure you can just draw your own conclusions based on everything terrible that we've just said. Truth. Truth. 
but that was not actually the reason we're recording this podcast. What is the reason we're recording this podcast, MK? The Cornetto Trilogy, which I think people might not know it by that name. I think some people might not know it by some. that name. And if you don't know what we're talking about, it is the trilogy of movies that sort of um, rhapsodizes on the weird banality of being British and also crazy stuff happening at the same time. Yeah. It's, it's films by the creative duo of Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright, generally starring Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. Yeah, and then everyone else from... There was a TV show that they were all on together, like everyone in these movies. Spaced, yeah. Yeah, so everyone from Spaced, basically, is in these. Yeah. Um, and this last week, the final movie in this trilogy of sort of disaster-slash-mundane films came out, and it was called The World's End. Yes, which um, follows, by the way, uh, Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. Yes. To be clear. To be clear. Um, the This is obviously going to be a very spoiler-heavy podcast, so consider this your final warning if you haven't seen it and don't want to be spoiled. Which, you know, I recommend you don't go spoiled into this film. I feel like, yeah, you for should... the purposes of this particular... Like, I'm generally like, even if it's spoiled, it's not a bad movie to see. I think for this particular movie, if you haven't seen it and you want to, I would say turn us off until you come back yeah. after having seen it, because the spoilers will sort of dampen the experience for you. And there will be spoilers in this also for Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. And while I don't think you can really spoil Shaun of the Dead, you can totally spoil Hot, Hot Fuzz. Fuzz. So no matter what, whether or not you... Like, if you don't care about Shaun of the Dead and you don't care about World's End, that's great. If you haven't seen Hot Fuzz yet, go fucking watch Hot Fuzz. And then you can come back. Yeah, but if you haven't, you can't listen to this. We're not allowing you That's to. right. We're going to turn it off psychically for you right Psychically, now. with our brains. Now it's gone. Now they're gone. Everyone's gone. Good. Only the people who have seen all three are here. <laughs> How much coffee have you had this morning? <laughs> so much! So much coffee. They just kept coming with the refills. I got scammed into trying a cup of slightly more expensive but created by a clover machine cup at Starbucks today because the guy at the counter looked so, like, fragile and eager. He did. He really wanted to sell me a cup of this coffee, and I was like, okay, fine, stop talking. Just give me this fucking coffee because it's, like, ten cents more. And you were in line for so long talking to him about this coffee. I wasn't talking. He was talking at me. And I was finally like, I'm putting you out of your misery. Yes, give me this freaking coffee so I can have it. Good. And then the poor kid who was making my coffee. (laughs) Who was so nervous. He was, like, a disaster film in action. It was cute. He was, he was just having some props that day. Yeah. Total just, props. And then he did that thing where he tried to put the lid on my coffee and just like, boom, it went everywhere. And I was like, good. Yeah. It took him like 10 minutes to make the cup. Cause it's like a, guys, unless you've seen this in action, it was crazy. It was so bizarre. It was like a robot coffee machine. Yeah. And then like a cake of coffee came out of it. Yeah. Like, yeah. It was really weird. Very strange. I mean, the coffee is good. But at the same time, like, he just looks so tremulous and fragile. <laughs> I would, too. I bet, like, when you get trained on that machine, they're probably like, if you break this machine, you break your life. That's right. We take you to Starbucks headquarters and murder you in the courtyard. <laughs> yes. Good. Um, but back to... <laughs> back to the Cornetto Trilogy. Back to the Cornetto Trilogy. So we'll double back and we'll talk about this movie in comparison to Sean and Hot Fuzz later, but we're not going to, like, actually run through the plots of that until a bit later. But for the plot of actually um the world's end it is essentially told well this is a fake out too but it starts off being told from the point of view of simon pegg's character who's a character named gary king who was that asshole in high school that everyone thought was like king of the land and thought was like so cool and his shit didn't smell and was completely awesome and didn't care because he was going to be 18 for the rest of his fucking life. Right? And, like, the day after high school ends, he's the stupidest fucker, like, you'll you'll never see yeah, him again. He, and if you do, he'll be working the worst job. He's a raging loser. Um, and his best friends, who are Peter Page, and Andy Knightley, Andrew Knightley, who is played by Nick Frost. Yep. Uh, in a very different turn for him. Yeah, very different. The other ones. Um, Martin Freeman, who plays Oliver Chamberlain. And uh, who is the other guy? I don't know. They all have, like, royal it's, court names. Yeah, it's Sam something, but I don't remember what it was. But they're, they all have, like, royal court names. And the premise of the film is that... 20 years since their glorious last night, or not glorious night in this town called Newton Haven, which is basically Milton Freeman as far as I understand it. Um, 
there is there are 12 pubs in this little town where they all grew up where nothing happens and it's called the golden mile and the goal is to go to each of these 12 pubs in one night and have a pint in each of these in a specific order in a specific order so here's the deal guys i don't like for those of you who don't drink or have no concept of drinking doing that is epically horrible and will kill you like 12 is a lot yeah, 12, even if you're only drinking one pint at each of those pubs, you are presumably doing that in the span of, like, four or five hours, and you're, like, just going to wish you were dead by the end of that. The only way to really survive, I think, would be to puke up each beer immediately. Yes. Or and that's to a drink, bad idea. Or to drink so much water that it just, like, floods out of your system. Also not I No matter what, it's not good for don't you. Don't do it. Don't puke up beers after drink. Like, don't do anything that we just talked about. Yeah, this was not a recommended behavior. No. But the point is that there's this golden mile. And one night when they're teenagers and after they've graduated, they decide to do the golden mile. They don't actually manage to finish. They make it through, like, seven or eight of the pubs. Some of them make it through seven or eight. Yeah, some of them just, like, fail out in the process. So that was the night. That was the night that Gary came. That was the greatest night of his life. He ended the night looking down at the town as, like, the sun rose over it, and his friends were, like, drunk and passed out behind him. And he knew that the day, the world was huge with possibilities, and that was something that actually did resonate with me. His feeling that, like, you didn't know it was coming, but something was, and it was wonderful. Yes. It was going to be great. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. You get to the end of his narration of this story, and you find out that he is in therapy or not like was he in an asylum or something he was in group therapy in some sort of facility yeah and he has like the bracelet on and you know everyone around him is on some kind of crazy medication and there for a very good reason and he looks fucked he is completely busted yeah he's like 40 he still has the same stupid haircut and like He just hasn't grown up, and it's really sad. Yeah, and the way he describes it is like, that was the best night of my life, and after that, everything sucked, and it will never be that good again. And then this person next to him in group therapy, who is like, so fucking out of it, and just like, does not care about anything, looks at him and is like, do you ever, this is like, don't you regret not making it to the last pub? And he thinks about it. And And he's like, challenge accepted. Exactly. So, the premise of this movie is that he goes and rounds up all of his old buddies who did the first tour and of who the pub. And basically hate him now. Yes. They all more or less really dislike him, or at least pity him on some level. Yes. And they've each grown up to be totally functional, good people who are doing well in their lives, especially his best friend, who is played by Nick Frost, Andy Knightley, who you get some very heavy-handed overshot, like foreshadowing from the very beginning um saying that something really wrong happened in their relationship and that they haven't talked to each other in close to 20 years something crazy like that and eventually you get there you get there he convinces martin freeman's character who's oliver um oliver chamberlain he convinces his other friend sam he convinces peter page and his final person that he has to go to is nick frost played by or nick frost who is playing andy and he's now a high-powered attorney, from what we can tell. And Andy will have nothing to do with it. Wants nothing to do with him, except that Gary tells him that his mom has died. Of the big C. Of the big C. So that now this is, like, his, you know, this is something that's going to really cheer him up. And, like, if you love him, please, like, show up at this place. Or if you love his mom at all, the memory of his mom. That's right. Feel bad for him. Show up for this pub crawl. And so he does. He does. And all four of his friends do, and they already regret it. They, like, instantly, it's obviously terrible right from the beginning. So bad. Such a bad idea. And there are all these, like, there are various interesting cultural in-jokes or whatever, and they go on this pub crawl, and, like, you find out fairly early in the, oh, wait, not fairly early in game, but, like, essentially... Um, it's like the third or fourth pub when he goes, basically, Simon Pegg goes into the bathroom, and he's pissed because he just had an argument with all of these guys. Yeah. Because they're like, dude, you're fucked up, this is stupid, we would all like to maybe go to bed early tonight because we're old. Yep. And, like, just go home. Like, this was terrible. Yeah. And he's like, I have to piss. And he goes to the bathroom, and in the bathroom he sees, from the earlier flashback, that the hole that he punched in the tile of the men's bathroom is still there. And he's peeing and he's kind of looking at it. And this young teenager comes in. A hoodie comes in. A hoodie comes in to pee. And the hoodie is, like, 
wants nothing to do with him. It's completely just like, ignores him the entire time, and Gary clearly is itching for a fight, so he throws the first punch. And that's when you find out, this is where the movie goes, as far as I'm concerned, more or less completely off the rails. And there are, like, a couple of moments after this that, like, are really good, and I like them as runners and stuff like that, but, like, yeah. So, he, his head, like, hits the urinal during this fight. This teenager's head hits the urinal. And instead of, like, him you know, like, being knocked out or, like, dying or whatever, his head pops off like a giant Lego piece and, like, blue gunk or whatever starts leaking out of the spaces and you realize, like, uh, yes, okay, this is not a person. This This is is a robot or something. This is, like, a robot simulant or something like that. It's fucked up. And... Eventually, all of his other friends kind of go into the bathroom and be like, what the fuck is happening? You've been in here for like Well, Nick Frost years. comes in to yell at him because they've just discovered that his mom isn't, isn't dead. dead. Because his mom has just called him from Bournemouth. Yeah. Anyway, so he's yelling at him while there's this decapitated, bleeding blue ink teenager on the floor. And all yeah. everyone else in the room is like freaking out over this shit. robot. That Andy Knightley is like, I'll deal with that later. You're a liar! How dare you tell me your mom is dead? That's fucked up! You don't tell people that! That's wrong! You haven't called your mom in like eight months? Dude! Yeah. You're a bad person and you hurt my feelings some more. Yeah. Um... And then, of course, the robot simulate starts waking up again and fighting them. And then more robot simulate hoodies. It's the rest of his hoodie gang. The rest of the hoodie gang roll up, and there's this crazy fight in the bathroom. The most, like, it's a good fight scene. It's a good fight scene. Like, it's really, really good. Especially because the one thing that I've always really enjoyed about the Cornetto movies is when there are fight scenes, they're very true to the actual limited capabilities of the characters. Yes. So, like, granted, I think that humans in general can be much more vicious than we think, but at the same time, like, we're not fight trained or anything, so that if we ever had to get into a brawl, we would, like... It would be really messy. Yes. And, like, stupid things that would happen in a normal bathroom fight have. Like, people wind up in a bathroom stall. People are, like, slamming each other into the walls, into the yeah. urinals. And the like, only person who is actually kicking some ass is Andy, because he used to be a rugby player. <laughs> yes. Andy is quite capable. And hit the, I feel like, I have to say, like, before we go any further, I loved Nick Frost in this movie. Nick Frost was amazing. He was absolutely the best part of this movie for me, because he was... He was 100% the emotional heart of this movie, and he played, like, he played it to a T where he doesn't really care about all this world-ending simulate crap. That is not important. He's just upset because of feelings and friendship and stuff, and if you really want to get on with him, there's a great moment that we'll hit later on in the movie where he literally just screams, I fucking hate this town! And I think I threw up my hands and cheered in the theater when I saw that, right? Like, I was like, yes! I feel you all! I wish I could pick up bar stools and start murdering bitches left and right, too. <laughs> in your hometown or just in general? In general. Oh, okay. I like my hometown. See, I don't like my hometown. So whenever I go back, I'm like, oh, I hate this town. You can just pretend you're Andy Knightley picking up bar stools and, like, fucking shit up. It seems like a really bad idea. I don't know. I think you'd be fine. There are two hometowns that I could do that in, and both of them would be bad. I feel like you have enough anger to deflect their bullets. <laughs> Good, good. With my psychic powers. That's right. With the psychic powers that we just throw everybody off the podcast with. Yeah. Um, Okay, but so they start fighting these guys, and this is where the plot, like, really falls apart. So the thing that has sort of defined the Cornetto trilogies for me in the past is that no matter how absurd the plot sort of go, they aren't required to over-explain it. And the stuff that you hand wave is stuff that, like, even when you reflect back on it for having been hand waved, you're like, oh, that doesn't really matter that much. Whereas this one, you're like, this is really poorly constructed. Like, there is no reason for us to, like, hang to hang this together the way that they are. So the way that they view this is now that they fought these fucking simulates, they're like, what do we do now? Any normal person would be like, get the fuck out of town. Get the fuck out of town. And they don't even have the excuse of it being like, everyone's drunk right now. Because they're not that drunk. They're not that and drunk. And one guy has and been drinking water. Andy hasn't been drinking at all at this point. Um, so then they all like go sit back down at the table to try to figure out like what the hell is I will say, doing. at that point, Andy does get drunk. He drinks all those shots. Yes, but that's... Because they're arguing about whether or not to leave town or to right. keep on with the pub crawl. Right. And what should have happened, like, any normal person... would just leave. Would just be like, look, I can still drive. Let's leave now. And had they done that, the rest of the movie, like, wouldn't happen. 
No, you know what? I think it could still happen because they could get stopped on the way out. That's and then true. Have to do this stuff, which would have been a more like understandable thing. Like if they get stopped on the way out and they get stopped right in front of the next pub, right? And like their efforts to leave town are continually hammered along the Golden Mile. Along Golden Mile would have been a much more effective way. Instead, I would have loved that. Instead, what ends up happening is that they go back to the table. They're like, "We have to leave town," but then as a result of being so angry with Gary, Andy has basically drunk like the five shots that Gary brought to the table and everyone's beer. Yes. Um, and you're just like, that is not cool. And the best part about that is he had been sober before that for like 20 years. Yeah, and he'd just like completely not been drinking at all. But I guess his feelings were overwhelming, plus robots. So, yeah. And I understand why you would be pissed and drink that, but like, you are not that drunk at that point. Like, no. I'm not advocating drunk driving and or drink driving if but you're if you're the escaping UK. a bunch of murderous robots i think it's okay i think that's an acceptable reason i think that i would allow you to do some tipsy driving in that case yeah um especially considering the driving later yeah and especially considering that you would be shit scared and you would want to get out of town absolutely now i can sort of understand from gary's point of view why he's like i don't really want to get out of town like i want to finish this because there's nothing else going on in my life but there were like four other people who together could overpower him and there's no reason you can't just stick him in that car and force him to leave. Absolutely. So that is where the whole plot starts to like try way too hard to sustain the narrative. It framework. really just needed a little bit of editing. Yes. Um, which is really weird to me because the previous films, like, I know that you didn't like Sean that much, but like we both love Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz is stellar. That movie is like tight as hell, man. That movie is like some hot bitch on a dance floor that all you want is to get in with that. Like, it is so tight. Your right? face as you just described that and your hand gestures for a tight bitch on the dance floor. <laughs> I don't. I just, wow. Wow. I'm just saying, yo. Okay. To get down with all, like, the club freaks, P-H-R-E-A-K-S, <laughs> that are listening to our podcast. Good. That movie was so perfectly, like, done. You know, it was ridiculous. It had all the absurdity that I think that they wanted in this. It had the eventual high stakes and the emotional ups and downs. And it also didn't rely on anything. Like, you didn't need an overarching narration the way that this one desperately did. And I was tired of that narration by minute four of the film. See, I didn't really care about the narration, but I definitely wasn't as emotionally engaged as I... Wait, we can't talk about this yet. Let's just let's mini quick summary of the rest of the movie. Yeah. Everyone in town, everyone, except for, like, their lady pal, is a fucking robot. But the lady pal doesn't live in town. She was just in town right, to see her friends. in town to see her friends, the twins, who are robots. Everyone's a fucking robot. They wind up fighting all of these robots while going on the pub crawl. Because um, they feel like this becomes, like, a really silly friend situation where they're like, we know... But they don't know that we know, so we should stick with this pub crawl. And if we don't stick with this pub crawl, they'll know something's weird, and then they'll attack us. Yes. Let's ignore the fact that you've, you've left, like, a trail of dead blue hoodies, like, in and one of the And their hands are covered in, like, blue ink blood. Right. And as they continue with the pub crawl, the first person to go down is... Martin Freeman, isn't it? Yeah. Martin Freeman is stellar in this. He's so good. Like, oh, I was just, like, extra in love with Martin Freeman in this movie. Because once he basically... He gets caught by the robots while he's in the bathroom, and nobody notices that he is replaced yeah. with a new robot of himself who has all the memories and is genetically, like, identical. perfect, right? Yeah. And he's so, he's like, let's do this. He's like a perfect tour guide of this pub crawl, taking them from pub to pub, whereas before he was like, I hate everything, all of you should let's just, leave. like... Let's leave. Stop trying to fuck my sister. Right? But when he goes pee, he comes back, and he's like, I am this! Yeah! And then they end up in this nightclub, um, one of the pubs with, like, hilarious, like, schoolgirls dancing up on them. Yeah. One of whom... Eats Nick Frost's wedding ring in yes. probably one of the grossest and funniest scenes ever, where he's trying, where she tries to kiss him. I I really genuinely appreciated this part of the movie. This is beautiful because it's associated with Nick Frost, and I loved everything he did in this film. Where like she's dancing up on him like magic slut style, and she tries to kiss him, and he holds up his wedding ring he's to be like, like I'm it's married. Like, I'm married, and then she does the greatest thing ever, where she like closes her, she deep throats his finger, finger and sucks his ring off. And then swallows it. Swallows it erotically. And his face just goes in, like, the most, like, lust, glaze, stupidity of ever. It was so amazing. It was so funny. Yeah. Wow. It was 
extra great. And then they that comes back later toward the end. Yes. Suffice <laughs> to say that they can turn you into a robot or replace you with one if they get your DNA. Say by kissing you or deep-throating your finger. Or if you drink a cup of beer or something. And, and don't use a crazy straw. Yeah. Because there's one dude in town who drinks out of a crazy straw and he's still human. Yes. But everybody else, simulate. Um, and... So, but Gary is like, I have to finish this pub crawl. Like, That's I've got all he cares else. about. They managed to get, so the lady pal that is in this movie is actually Oliver's sister. Um, and everybody, at, at one point, they realize that, like, it's just too dangerous. They have to get out of town. So, for reasons inexplicable, they send her off first and nobody else leaves. No, Nick Frost sends her off because he's an idiot. No, no, no. Simon Pegg sends her off. Nick Sorry, Simon Pegg sends her off. Um, because he kind of loves her, but he knows that she should be with his friend. Who yeah, has he loved boned her, her in a toilet stall, like... In the disabled. In the disabled. We'll always have the disabled. We'll always have the disabled. Greatest romantic moment of all time. She's like, I have to get away from you. Yeah. I will go like, get the car to she, see you. She does do this, like, great monologue where she's, like, about to piece it out of town, where she's like, you know... It's not that you're a bad person, Gary, and you were really fun to fuck in the disabled when, like, we were 17, but you're not really boyfriend material. Yeah. And you're like, that's completely legit, It's totally man. true. You make some shit decisions when you're a teenager, but when you get older, you're like, <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The gates to my vagina are closed to your kind. This is just, we've raised the drawbridge. Like, sorry. It's like, you, nah, you've got to try harder for this shit, You've bro. really got to work for it now. Um... And so then they, like, go, they go, they go. They, um, eventually, Peter finds a guy who used to bully him, who is now a simulant, and even though he should totally avoid him, he, he winds up getting in a crazy fight and getting taken. Beats and the living shit out of him, and Nick Frost's character is like, Peter, it's not worth it! And Peter's like, yes, it is! And you're like, I feel you. And he comes back with a, this is great, too. They're in a forest. They're, like, running through a forest or something. And, like, he finds a giant fucking tree branch and just starts wailing on this guy really ineffectually <laughs> with a like tree a, branch. not that good of a weapon. No, it's not. It's you like really a, need to strip that shit down. It's the bouncy like part of the tree branch, and he's holding the fat end, so you're not even getting the gravity swing of that. And he's just like, I hate you! <laughs> <laughs> and you're just like, oh. One of my favorite things yeah. is when they run into, it's their old principal. Who is Pierce Brosnan, by the way. So Silver Fox in this movie. So Silver Fox. Like, like, I was just like, oh my god. He's lost a lot of weight since the last time I saw him. And he's in, like, a hot professor kind of There's outfit. a lot of tweed going There's on. There's, like, some sexy looking tweed. And, like, I think he had facial hair and I didn't mind. Yeah, like, Professor Bond could ask me to come to his office after class any day. Any day, right? Any day. But he's the one who makes the really reasonable argument that they should accept the robots and join them because... They've done all this cool stuff. Yeah, they. everybody seems really nice. The town looks fine. It's and not... there are, like, three humans in town. Only one of them actually is like, this shit's fucked up. The other two are like, dude, it's pretty great. Because they invented, like, cell phones and the internet. Yeah, everyone, it's not like you stop living your life. It's you like... just keep going. It's just things get better. Yeah. And you can always be young again. And the funny thing is, of course, MK and I, obviously, having watched this movie, both of us were like, I don't, that's not, that doesn't sound it like a bad totally deal. It's totally okay. It's like, I'm cool with that. I think, like, the reasonable people, like, when you watch this, you're like, you know what, those robots, like, their methods are not great, but I would totally take that deal. Yeah. Because, or at least I'd be like, what's the alternative, right? Like, yeah. if we fight you, if you revolt, like... Well, they say that they don't have to replace you, right? They, yeah. If like, you work with them, that's totally cool. Yeah. I mean, like, I would just be like, well, don't replace me, but, like, if I get sick, can you fix that? Like, I just didn't... I guess the threat wasn't there, because... There is no threat. It's just that, like, the, Simon Pegg's character is crazy, and the rest of them are kind of drunk. And I think the idea is all about free will, right? Yes. Like, you... But I feel like that may also be part of the lesson. That might be... That's my theory as well. Okay. But so... They go through all of this environment. I don't care about free will. If we get, like, treat us when we're sick, free iPods for everyone. I wouldn't go that far. But, so, um, ultimately, at the end, it's just, so the girl has been sent off in yes. her car. Um, they have to get to Simon Pegg's car, but it's kind of like a lost cause or whatever. Simon Pegg is determined to drink his pint in every pub. So Simon Pegg keeps fleeing every time they get close to the car, and... Nick Frost's character refuses to leave him, obviously. He's like, I still care about him. Yeah. I can't let this happen. I can't. I can't watch this happen. So they end up chasing him into the final pub, which turns out to be like alien crazy person headquarters, which I guess makes sense because the pub's name is The World's End. 
Well, all of the pubs foreshadow everything that happens. Yes. All the pubs' names. And I will say, The King's Head, my favorite thing in the whole movie, which is stupid, and this is like a sign of, this wasn't that good a movie, is the fact that the sign for The King's Head... Was Simon Pegg's face? Simon Pegg's face on, like, like the denim of, like, a king with a big stupid wig and everything. Yes. And I was like, that is, I hope he took that home. That is the most beautiful sign I've ever seen. Well, yes, that's true. I, I would take that home if I were him. Um, and then they have this big showdown with the aliens who own this, like, who are headquartered in this pub. And, and they're just a big light. It's ridiculous. And the show, the aliens are voiced by Bill Nye, which is great. Um, but the showdown is ridiculous because it's not like there's a fight. It's literally just them standing there screaming at a light. Yes. And they're, it's not like they win with good arguments. They win by, you Be know, like, like when you want to give up arguing with a fucking toddler because they just yell at you. Yeah, that's what happens. That's what they do. And the, the aliens are just like, you know what, fuck it. I'm too tired to have this fight with you. Really like, can't deal with these assholes, so we'll just abandon the entire planet. We're leaving. And then they, like, basically dive bomb the planet. And everything is ruined. And the closing scene, the narration changes. So the movie opens with Simon Pegg narrating. And the narration at the closing is Nick Frost's character in the post-apocalyptic hellscape of Earth. Because they've basically destroyed everything. Yeah, they ruined everything. There's a small cluster of survivors, and he's sitting around a fucking fire in the bleakest of night telling this story. And to a bunch of, like, hoodies. Yeah. And I, I just, like, I didn't... This movie was not good. This movie was not... It, like, to say nothing of, it's not as good as Hot Fuzz, it's not as good as Tron of the Dead for me. It was not a good movie, in my opinion. Yes. I mean, there are two ways that I feel... We can just pretend that the Cornetto trilo- trilogy was two movies. It's like how The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is a trilogy in five parts. Cornetto <laughs> trilogy is a trilogy in two parts. That's true. It's just, it was a really odd experience for me because, like, I was, I read zero reviews. Yeah. I read zero spoilers. I just went in. I was so excited about this movie because I loved the pair of them working on films before, and I really, I anticipated that this would be a similar type of movie to um, Sean and Hot Fuzz in the sense that it is a commentary on society. It is very whip-smart and fast, but that there is some note of the absurd. Where I think in this case what happened is that the absurd was too absurd. It overwhelmed everything else. Yeah, because there are a lot of emotional notes and things I think that they were trying to convey in this movie that I just, like, complete... It's not that I didn't catch them. It's just that they weren't enough yeah. To fight against the fact that, like, this was... It really did just need more editing and someone to be like, dude, you have to fix this, this, and this, which will change large chunks of the movie, but make it significantly better. Because when I saw the trailer, the idea that you go back to your hometown for a pub crawl, and it turns out it's like Stepford fucking robots everywhere. I'm like, cool. That's not bad. You I'll, could totally work with that. Right? I was like, this could be great. And it's Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, so it should be amazing. Yeah. And it wasn't. It wasn't. It really wasn't. I mean, I loved, I loved the emotional thread of Nick Frost in this movie. He was a delight. He had wonderful, wonderful moments, and he plays all of his characters, like, whether he's playing, like, total loser Ed, complete, like, sweetheart, sweetheart. dumbass Danny, yeah, or Andy, like, all with this, like, lovely thread of vulnerability in him, where, I mean... I just loved him. I could have watched him for the whole movie instead, but he wasn't, like... He's not the focus. The focus is really the most uh, annoying version of Simon Pegg I've ever seen. A completely unlikable character. Even at the end, when they do that, like... And this, by the way, should have been the post credit scene. I don't know why it wasn't, because there is no post credit scene. Also, it was baffling that it was in the movie at all. Yeah. That's right. we didn't even talk about the kicker scene, which was just, like, why did this happen? Why did this happen? Which is, after the world has ended, and Nick Frost has given his narration... He wonders where Simon Pegg's character is. Which, that in itself is absurd. Like, if the whole point is that you, like, went to the end of the world for this guy, and he, like, leans against you in the dying moments of society and is like, I'm so sorry. Because here's the other thing that we completely skipped over, because this was, like, completely underplayed and skipped over in the movie, um, is that they haven't talked in 20 years, because 20 years ago, sometime after the Golden Mile first attempt, um... Gary King's character ODs one night uh, during some fucked up party, and Annie Knightley 
drunk out of his fucking mind. Drunk drives him to the hospital. Tries to drunk drive him to the hospital. Ends up flipping the car. Gary wakes up just in time to, like, run away. And Andy almost dies because he severed his femoral artery. And gets arrested. And gets arrested in this, um, in this car accident ever since they've never talked. Yes. Um... Which, like, you, I can't even, like... How do you forgive someone for that? I mean, like, you could, in theory, because, like, that... Like, Gary was clearly sick, and he clearly is still sick. Yes. But that... It's not even that it's never addressed. It's just that, like, that is supposed to be the big thing the two of them have to surmount for their emotional connection to rekindle. It never gets addressed. I think he, he says, sorry. Like, he's like, yeah, sorry. And literally like, at the enough. end of the movie... And then the next scene is the is the Nick Frost telling people this story, and like apparently him and Gary King fell out of touch after this. Like that makes no sense. No like sense. it's like you reset. And okay, now you have to describe the kicker. So the kicker is um, basically all of the people who were robots shut down when the aliens left, but later they boot up again. But they're kind of like alone and confused because they don't have this connection to, I'm going to say, the hive. Yeah. Um, and people are now, like, super racist against these fucking robots, which, like, understandable. They ended your world. Um, but some robots managed to integrate into society, but for the most part, you could go in somewhere, and it's kind of like, you know, like, they're like, we only serve humans. Yeah. And people have shit carved into their foreheads that say human to prove that, like, they bleed blood. Yeah. Right? Like, it's a big deal, and you see, like, the robots walking through, like, almost like a war zone of humans just screaming at them and shit. And Gary King walks into this human bar. Yeah, in the, the very end of the apocalypse scene. And um, orders, he's with, like, a, a team a of... posse of robots. posse of robots who are obviously robots. And everyone goes silent. And then he orders five tap waters. Yes. Which is what Andy has been ordering the whole movie. Well, also, like, isn't it at the... So there are two things about that scene that I'm just like, what? Well, he says that it takes balls, right? It does take balls to order, because Andy was the one ordering water at the beginning of the movie when he wasn't drinking. Yes. And it takes balls, like, as a rugby player during the match to, like, go in and order, like, water as opposed to a pint. Um, But then, like, the posse that he has are the robot versions of his friends when they were younger. Yeah, it's his old high school gang. Yeah, all the robot versions of his old Except for him. Frozen at 18. And you're just like, what was the fucking point of this? Like, what was the narrative arc? Like, what was the lesson that you were telling us? Like, I could sort of, like, if I was going to meta this out, right? If I was going to justify this film. I could say something like, okay, so maybe the point that they were trying to convey to us through the content of this movie is that you do have to grow up. And that if you don't, if you fight this integration that does make your life better and make you a little bit less young, special, and free-spirited. There are the benefits. Those are the benefits, and they far outweigh the consequences of you being recklessly like, no, man, fuck you, I'm gonna be like, whatever. Because then you have this post-apocalyptic hellscape, and it's not worth it. Totally. And if that was the method, sure. But that was not an entertaining way to tell that story. No, and then... If that's the lesson, Gary King shouldn't be running around the world with his high school gang. Yeah. Because it countered... It's, like, the opposite of what they just spent two hours telling you. Yeah. So it doesn't make sense. Now, to say that we didn't like this movie, totally fine. Like, it was fine, but it's not a good movie. And compared yeah. to the other two... It fell really short. It's garbage compared to them. Yeah. Now, I will say, we should talk just about Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, because those are, even though I don't really like Shaun of the Dead, yeah. I, the reason I don't like it is because I don't like zombies. Yeah. For the most part, that is my main reason. I, that's the reason why Shaun is, like, my number two and not, like, because I'm not a huge zombie fan. Right. But I feel like you're but absolutely right. Those are stellar movies that we highly recommend you watch if you haven't seen them already. And that way we can talk about something that we like, and you guys will enjoy this more. Yeah. Um. So... The, the other thing about this movie, right, that I was, like, so angry about when they finally... And you can probably guess what this was. But, like, we've been referring to this trio of films as the Cornetto Trilogy for a reason. Because a through line throughout all of these fucking movies is their obsession with Cornetto ice creams. Which, which are, like, 
drumsticks, would you say? Mm-hmm. Like English drumsticks that come in three colors or flavors. They it, they didn't always come in three flavors. but the, So basically they're essentially like cone ice creams that you can buy like at a store. They're not great ice cream. But it probably costs you like a pound in England, so something like, like that. a buck fifty or something. They're pretty here. cheap, um, but they're great. They're like they're just like a little self-contained ice cream cone. treat. And they first make their appearance in Shaun of the Dead during like one of my favorite opening sequences of a film, possibly ever, which um, is him kind of like going along the drudgery of his everyday life and just like not noticing all this shit happening that everyone has become a zombie because it's indistinguishable to him and he's not even paying enough attention to tell where he goes through the he goes through the motions buys a cornetto goes to work everyone says there's a bit of red on you because his pen is leaking in his pocket and all this other stuff And he's also eating a red cornetto to go with the color of Shaun of the dead which is red and then in the second movie in the trilogy hot fuzz which is absolutely the finest the best so great i've seen that movie so many times it's actually embarrassing yeah i can't believe i don't own it like you do own it do i it's on your shelf thank you i would not have known that okay so mk does own it good um and i i've seen that movie so many times i've listened to the dvd commentary of it because it's brilliant it's hilarious the first time i watched it okay and guys this is like gonna show like my stupid ultra suburban background here I avoided watching Hot Fuzz for a really long time because I thought that it was about dancing, and I don't like dancing because I don't know any slang for police. Nobody calls them the fuzz, but wouldn't the trailers involve? I never saw a trailer. You just knew the title? I knew the title, and people were like, you know what you should watch? Hot Fuzz. You're going to love it. And I was like, that sounds like a dancing movie. And I would just be like, no. Wow. Yeah. Um, Anyways. That's not a suburban issue. I, I feel like everyone who's listening to this podcast was like, Hey, that's not a suburban issue. That's an MK issue. This is like how yesterday the report. No, no, no. Like yesterday, there were like a lot of Canadian people there, so I was like, oh, perfect moment. I have a survey cross section of Canadians here. I have to ask you a very important question because MK has been telling me this like Canadian fact for years. Have any of you ever fucking heard the term Alberta face? Just raise your hand. Absolute dead goddamn silence because it's not a real thing. Can't believe you fuckers and, didn't support me. And you're a crazy person and you just live in a fantasy land. So let's not besmirch the rest of suburbia. Suburbia sucks. It's just you who doesn't know this. At any rate, I thought it was a dancing movie. It's not, it's about cops. And it's about every action movie trope. Which I love action so movies. So much. If so you much. like action movies, You will love Hot Fuzz. But the point is, the first time I watched this movie, Prue was like, I was in England in her little flat, and she was like, what the fuck do you mean you haven't seen Hot Fuzz? (laughs) We're watching it tonight. We're watching it right now. We watched it. It was amazing. And then you know what we did the next day? We watched watched it again with commentary. (laughs) So great. We have the best vacations. We do. It's so great. But so in Hot Fuzz... The Cornetto is a blue Cornetto. Obviously. And they eat it sitting in the police cars, because it's like a cop film. This movie... There's no Cornetto. There's no Cornetto until, like, the closing moments of the movie, and it is literally a green mint Cornetto wrapper... That that, hits a fence. And then Nick Frost's character sadly reaches for it. And I did the same thing. I was like a cat, where I was like, yeah, what are you... This is horrible! I was promised a Cornetto movie! Well, also, the best part is, as he is reaching for this Cornetto, the narration is, like, him still telling this story to those kids at the campfire, and he's like, yeah, I don't really miss processed food. Like, I can't think of anything that I would really want anymore. But, like, when you see his face reaching for the Cornetto... You know he's lying to He's lying to him and to everyone there, because... Like, these kids probably won't remember processed food. I will. I love processed food. No, no, kids who, like, grew up in this apocalypse. Oh, I know. Right? They're like, what the fuck is a Cornetto? So it's just better to lie to them than to let them know that, like, we had it all. That's right. We had flaming Hot Cheetos and Cornettos and, like... All-dressed chips. Diet Coke. Yeah. Oh, my God. Not anymore, bitches. Now it's the apocalypse. Fucking life is worthless. Yeah, nothing Cornetto happens in it. And the Cornetto in this is green, but the... Robots bleed blue. Yeah. 
There's no color continuity in there for me. I yeah. mean, you could maybe say green for, like, alien, but, like, they're gone by the end of it. And the aliens are, like, even the light is kind of blue. Like, if you were yeah. going to do this, they should have been green. Yeah. And I understand that green isn't as good a look, but, like... And I also know that's, like, not, like, the most important part of this movie, but, like, they've always been so consistent yes. on these sorts of things. It's really weird for them to go completely... It almost feels like they were like, well, we have to make the third one, and it has to be green... And then they were like, but that doesn't really matter. And so they just, they shoehorned in this other thing. And this whole movie, like, eh, they were just like, we have to finish it. You know, like, when someone writes a sequel to something because people demand the sequel. And the sequel is kind of garbage. Yeah, but you know what? Here's the thing. I feel like they never had that impetus, you know? Like, I feel like they really wanted to tell this story, which is... So part of the media commentary around this, right, and part of what Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg have been talking about is how there's this tendency now in movies and films and television to talk about, like, man-children who just, like, refuse to grow up. And as, like, a commentary on that, I think this movie is very smart because it's one of the few that take the alternate track where they're like, this is not attractive. This is not even, like oh, you, where you can have, like, the fat, ugly Boys husband. will be boys. Yeah, with the shitty job and, like, the Homer Simpson life and have, like, a gorgeous, wonderful wife who still loves you. That's obviously shit. Like, you have to step up your fucking game. And life is complicated. Everything gets harder. And people who actually behave like this don't succeed. And I think that as that, that was very interesting that excluding they... Excluding that final scene. Excluding that final scene, right? If you and exclude that scene, then it totally has that message and that's solid. Yeah, and I feel like it was great that they decided to explore that. And I yes. feel like that would have been awesome if they had managed to carry it out. But something about this, like, the peak absurdity of this did not work. So, like, the whole premise of Sean is it's a commentary on the drudgery of, like, the banal drudgery of everyday life to the point where, like, you wouldn't notice if there was a zombie apocalypse. And Sean, um, Simon Pegg, and Nick Frost play two people who are so, like, that like there's a zombie apocalypse going on and they don't notice it for they the don't longest. notice it until it's a huge problem yeah and it's like literally in their backyard trying to get through the glass and that movie was also incredibly it was a difficult movie to do because it walks this very narrow line between like tragedy and zombie horror and humor yes and the perfect line that sort of like captures this I think is in the end when they're in the pub and um, Queen is playing on the radio, and they all have, like, rugby bats, and they're, like, murdering the zombies in tune to the yes. to the Queen song on the jukebox. And right before the Simon Pegg has, like, had to tell his, like, soon-to-be ex-girlfriend or soon-to-be girlfriend or whatever, like, I've already had to shoot my mom. Please don't make me kill you today, too. And it's yes. just, like, it's both awful and funny and terrible. And if you like zombie movies, this is kind of an excellent... It's made by people who love the genre, have, like, whip-sharp wit, and can carry it off. And Hot Fuzz, in terms of its absurdity... Oh my god, it pulls every great absurdity from cop movies and action, yeah. like, buddy cop movies, because I fucking love buddy cop movies. Mm -hmm. It pulls all of that together. But, you know, like, a buddy cop movie, like, still will take itself too seriously. Yes. This is not the case in Hot Fuzz, because in Hot Fuzz, one of the great jokes is that Nick Frost's character spends the first half of the movie asking Simon Pegg, have you ever done this? Have you ever done this? Have you ever done this? And it's all the stupid fucking things that yes. people do in buddy cop movies. Like, have you ever dove through the air while shooting over Two your guns. partner's head at the yeah. same time? Yeah. Right? Or, like, have you ever... Been in a high-speed chase. Been in a high-speed chase. Have you shot a guy in the head in the exact spot so that his head would explode? <laughs> right? Like, things that, like, don't happen in real life. Yes. And then in the second half of the movie, all of that happens, and both of them get to do it, and it's hilarious. Yes. And there's also, like, a great arc, though, for the characters, because Nick Frost's character, Nick Angel, starts off as such a dick. He's such a dick. Such a jerk. So unlikable. And Danny starts off as, like, this bumbling, well-meaning, but not very good police officer. Who's drunk and gets thrown in the drunk tank the first night that he meets Nick Frost because Nick Frost arrests him. Yes. Um, no, Nick Angel. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> Angel arrests him. Um, officer Angel. Officer Angel. But then he learns all of these things along the way from Officer Angel, like, where he says, like, it's been a traffic accident, and then Angel's like, we don't call it an accident anymore. Um, 
we call it a collision. And Danny's like, why? Because accident implies that no one was at fault. And people are definitely at fault. Right. And then later on, when someone says traffic, like, oh, what's going on? Danny's character says it's been a traffic collision. So he's learning. Everybody has an arc. And it's very, like, they don't have to highlight it. They don't need any narration. It's really obvious that Nick Angel becomes more human and Danny Danny, becomes a better cop. Yeah. And And together they become, like, this perfect team of law enforcement. Exactly. And it's... It doesn't require any hand-holding because it's really smart. And even the parts that are really subtle, you get them. And on the DVD commentary for that movie, Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg talk about how in the modern-day era where people buy DVDs, it is the obligation and the responsibility of a filmmaker to make a movie that people are going to be willing to watch more than once. Like, make it worth their while to own this DVD. Exactly. And Hot Fuzz is absolutely a DVD that you should own. One of the best things you can own ever. So worth it. Whereas this one, I don't know. Like, maybe I'll like it better if I, when I watch it again. I'm but not going to buy it. I just don't. It just didn't work for me. I don't think I would ever watch it again. Whereas, like, you know, there are movies where I walk out of the theater and I'm like, yeah, I could watch that, like, two or three more times and it might be worth the 20 bucks. And there are movies where I walk out and I'm like, I could watch this a thousand times. Yeah. And it's definitely, like, um, the Sandra Bullock, not Sandra Bullock, yeah, it was her, and Melissa McCarthy, buddy cop movie that came out. The Heat. The Heat. I will watch The Heat, like, a thousand times. I want everyone I know to see that movie. If you guys haven't seen that movie, you really should. It is the best movie that has come out this year. It is so funny. So funny. Everyone was pissing their pants laughing. Like, the whole theater was just freaking out, crying, like, cheering, like, amazing. It's a great film. Definitely buy that one. But, like, will I watch Shaun of the Dead again? No. Will I watch World's End again? No. But I will watch Hot Fuzz a lot. I feel the problem is, is that for my, like, just because I'm such a, because I'm so emotionally attached to these films, I feel like I'm probably going to end up buying the DVD for World's End because I want to know what the commentary says and what they were probably attempting to go for. That's true, but wouldn't you rather have, because they're going to come out with some Cornetto-themed box set. That's true, I should probably just buy that. The point is that... I was disappointed by this movie overall. Yeah, me too. I did not like it that much. I walked out, I enjoyed it, but I was like, I wasn't uh, jubilant the way that I am with other movies. It wasn't like a fist pump, like, yeah! Yeah, like sometimes you go to the movies and you come out and it was emotionally satisfying. Yeah. This was not emotionally satisfying. This was like definitely, I left that theater and I was like, what the fuck about that ending? I wasn't as mad as you, I was just like, eh. I was pissed. I was really mad. Like, had they just closed it off at, like, um, at the post-apocalyptic world, and if Nick Frost, and if Nick Frost and um, Simon Pegg had been together. You would have been like, it was fine. I I would have been like, this is not great, but but at least their friendship has been repaired. And, like, now there's, like, the new post-apocalyptic version of the pub crawl where you have to, like, go, like, find all the hallucinatory plants that are in a golden mile. Like, I don't know. There's some way to wrap that together. That so, seems like the Stargate Atlantis AU. Yeah. But, I mean, the, the thing that I wanted to ask you, though, is, okay, so we have this movie that I think is just, it loses its way. But it has all the solid underpinnings of something that could have been great. How would you have fixed this? Well, definitely I would have had them try to leave town right after killing the robot hoodies. Yes. And then I think, like you talked about earlier, if you have the robots trying to stop them, which accidentally winds up forcing them to go through the Golden Mile again. Yeah. That's great. That is the sort of hand-waving that I would have been happy to do. Totally happy to do, because it's the kind of, like, ridiculous coincidence that happens in these Cornetto movies. Mm -hmm. Like, they have stuff that, like, when they run into their, basically, doppelgangers in Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. And they're all lined up perfectly. It's hilarious. It's like two jokes at once. It's a joke about who was with who in their previous show. Yep. And everyone matches up with their doppelganger perfectly. Yep. Like, that is the kind of, like, it's ridiculous, but it's so perfect, and you laugh because it's so perfect. Yes. And if that had happened in World's End, I would be like, this is hilarious, that's great. And you could have even had them hang a lantern on it, right? Like, where the first time they try to, like, leave and they end up getting knocked back to the king's head, they're like, you are sh-. Like, they're like, And oh. just have, like, Diamond Peg's character be like, 
cool. Marky well, I'm here. here. I may as well. And they're like, what are you doing? He's like, well, we're here. I may as well. I gotta do this. It's my dream. I, you know? And then they get to the last one. They're like, are you fucking kidding me? And Simon Pegg's like, yeah, we did it. We did the golden mile. And then, like, everything goes to shit. Maybe right? that would have helped. That would have helped a lot. And I really need that alien confrontation at the end. To be, not suck. It has to be a completely different scene. That was so garbage. That was, like, the worst thing in the entire yeah. movie. And if, you know what, I would have been super happy if instead of that stupid light, if they had had, again, Pierce Brosnan, but as the voice of a the Bill alien. Yeah. yeah. Like, just his face and body and that guy's voice coming out of it. Yeah. You would be like, that's sufficiently alien and yeah. weird and impressive. And you would get to look at Pierce Brosnan again in all of his beautifulness. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one way to do it if you wanted to keep the supernatural element of it. I was sitting there thinking, and I was like, the problem with this movie is that it, it, there are two ways you can play something like this, right? You can either make it very small and intimate, or you could, like, go balls to the fucking wall. And I feel like balls to the fucking wall is what you need if you're going to destroy the world. Yeah. And that's, like, what the whole, like, aliens keep forcing them onto the next step of this pub crawl thing. That would have been ridiculous, but it would have been like, let's go. Let's go full balls. Let's not try and find, like, an emotional reason that they're going to keep doing this because that's just, like, really, really contrived. The other version that I was thinking, and this is, like, so dark, and this is going to be a classic, like, supernatural Pacific Romeo moment again where everyone's like, what are you doing? Why would you do this? Um, The other option for this, in theory, is that one of the things that you find out at the very end of the movie, and it's one of the darkest moments of the movie, is um, you find out that Simon Pegg's character is on this pub crawl because he had tried to kill himself. In the institution, or both of his, his arms, arms are completely wrapped. Um, and so you know he went down the street, not across the road. Exactly. And that's probably why he was also in the group therapy, and probably also why he'd been um, sectioned, essentially. Uh, but given that, I was sitting there thinking, like, if you really want to play that, like, if that wants to be a beat you want to be in, why don't you just alter the movie so that that is the world's end? Why don't you just make that his end goal? So that you have this guy who has basically felt like he's wrung every drop of goodness out of his life, and it's awful, but he wants to do this. Like, this is the one thing that's on his checklist. He's going to accomplish something, and then, and then he's, he's going to kill die. himself. And then he'll be at the peak of his life again, and when he goes, he can't get any worse, right? That's, that's like that's like a level of crazy, or not even crazy, but that's a very sad and like not real, but that's something that you could almost convince yourself of when you're that unhappy. It's plausible that that in that mental state, you would think that was a good idea. Right. And in terms of, in terms of what you would have to change in order to make that work, you would have to make it so that he hadn't totally lost touch with everybody, but maybe he's been in touch with everyone, but the only person who won't talk to him is Andy. And so he's like, look guys, this is my last hurrah. And he tells him like, guys, I am going to go into rehab. Like, I'm going to fix everything as soon as this is done. And they're like, are you kidding? Like, drinking at 12 pubs right before you go to rehab? And he's like, look, I'm actually going to go to rehab. But I want to do this before I go. And I want to do this with you guys. Because that was, like, the best night of my life. It was the pinnacle of everything. And I want to, like, go on a high note. So they're like, this is ridiculous. But if it's going to get him to rehab, I guess let's go. So all four of them go with him on this trip down the Golden Mile. And along the way, you get these little sort of clues that he has something much darker planned at the end of it. And it makes sense and it's coherent that he would be lying to them about this as well. Exactly. And so maybe, like, you just don't have the simulate story at all. But you can have, like, a darker, smaller movie, which would tell essentially the same story. Yes. Though I think I think it was Paul who said it would make a lot more sense if it turns out that all of this is something he hallucinated after trying to kill himself. Yeah, actually. Right? Or like he then ODs in rehab or whatever he's in. Yeah. That kind of thing. Like that That's would true. all make sense. That is. That was dark. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good job. But those were the two roads that you could take it. I will say, okay, so another thing this just occurred to me. Um, the scene where they are driving away from the massive explosion that ends the world. Yes. Uh, there is a joke that they, this town has the UK's first roundabout. Yeah. Okay, and she's like, oh god, which way do we go around the roundabout? Because we're outrunning an explosion, and they're like, just drive over it, just drive over it, and she does. The only 
precursor to this is when they enter town and they go around to the roundabout and you see the sun. But they made that, like, a significantly bigger deal at the end than it deserved. Like, there was no reason for that. I feel like if they had worked a thread through as, while they do the Golden Mile, they destroy different landmarks and key historic elements of the town. Yeah. Then that would make sense. Yeah. But as it was, I thought they should have just cut that. It was sort of random. Yeah. I mean, overall, like, I don't know. I feel like the series, like, the term... The only thing that I can come up with is that, like, they really wanted to tell the story. They wanted to have the same sort of elements as the previous movie, and they were trying too hard. Yeah. And it didn't work out well. Which happens. I mean, it's just, it's a disappointment because they've been so good at everything else. Yes. Then when you watch this, you're like, we know what you're, this is like the the fucking guidance counselor moment where you're like, but we know what you're capable of, and yeah. you're just not meeting that standard. Exactly. Like I'm not, I'm not. I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed. And how can we help you achieve greatness again? Like exactly. Which is sad. I know. Agreed. But we can always. Ha- we'll always have hot fuzz and the disabled. We will always have hot fuzz and the disabled. And before everyone gets mad at us for that, that, that is, is a line from the movie. Yeah. And again. You weren't allowed to listen to this if you hadn't heard this, so... <laughs> Psychic power's back for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think this week, instead of Thick Rex, uh, as an alternative to go seeing this movie in theaters... Just go buy yourself a copy of Hot Fuzz. Well, assuming you've already seen it and own it, as you obviously should, um, what movie would you recommend people see instead? So I'm going to recommend one of my favorite movies of all time which is the Josie and the Pussycats live-action movie, which nobody has seen for some reason, but is, if you ever look at the reviews, critically acclaimed as one of, like, the pop culture hits of all time. And for similar reasons, it basically is the story of Josie and the Pussycats being picked up by a record label that it turns out is using subliminal messaging to brainwash teenagers into spending money on specific things for a specific purpose. Um, And they have to basically stop everyone from being brainwashed while still recording their first album and becoming famous. Yeah, so basically, MK just tried to convince me that we were watching this movie tonight, and I was like, my liberal words were, I am a thousand percent not going to watch this movie. You're missing out so hard. (laughs) I'm sure I am. I'm sure it's a tragedy. This is not one of those things where I'm like, it's the best, and I don't really mean it. This is like, I cannot emphasize strongly enough how fucking great this movie is. And anyone who has seen it knows that du jour means friendship. Anyways, so I'm going to recommend some... I originally was trying to think of a movie I wanted to recommend, but honestly speaking, like, you go see The Heat, obviously. Obviously. Which we already talked about. But I don't have... Like, there's nothing really that's come out recently that I've just been like, this is the greatest. Despicable Me Too was really good. I didn't see it. It's a really, really good. I haven't even seen the first one. Also really, really good. So what I'm going to recommend instead is for people who kind of like mean, snarky folk to try out this podcast I am now officially 1000% obsessed with called How Did This Get Made, which is the greatest podcast ever. It is essentially people watching movies that probably never should have happened and discussing why they are amazing. Now, what differentiates this podcast from other podcasts run by, like, douchey people who have strong opinions about movies is that these guys actually have a little bit of cred. So they will bring on guests like the actors from the awful movies or the writers or various other elements. For example, this is specifically for Cobweb Diamond and some other people on the internet who are obsessed. We all remember the film classic, The Room. And you're tearing, oh, Lisa, you're tearing me apart. Um, They do an amazing episode examining The Room. And they actually have one of the actors from The Room on the episode talking about the experience of filming this shit show. Uh, Same goes with the movie Birdemic, which I'm sure everyone has seen. Birdemic, I have not seen it, but good job on the naming. That's right. Um... And probably one of my more favorites is that they recently did um, Crocodile Dundee 3. We were listening to some of this the other morning when both of us were getting ready in the bathroom. And I have to say, it was 
Wow, I'd forgotten that a lot of shit happened in Crocodile Dundee 3. Yeah, that movie was real bad. And they have the writer, one of the writers of Crocodile Dundee 3 on, and you kind of find out why the movie is the way that it is. But to give you a quick rundown of why that movie is the way that it is, the writers had been invited to pitch an idea for the sequel of Crocodile Dundee 3, which was, that movie was filmed like in the early 2000s, and the first Crocodile Dundee movie was released in 86, I think. So this is a very late sequel. Uh, but essentially they'd been invited to like pitch an idea and they decided to go as sort of practice. They had no idea that they were ever going to get selected. They didn't even want to be selected, but their like five minutes of prep work got them the job. And then for various contractual reasons, despite the fact that they both hate this movie and the script, they had to go to court to fight the guy who plays Crocodile Dundee for the rights of the film. Are you shitting me? No joke. That's amazing. It's hilarious. I nearly pissed myself. I was laughing so hard listening to this. Good. So that is the recommendation. The podcast is called again, How Did This Get Made? I think that does this for this week. I think so too. We should end this. We should end this now. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. If you miss us during the week, you can find us on Tumblr at Rage Proof Rock or Moon Klutz. Yep. Uh, or the Slash Report Tumblr, which we don't post anything except for episode updates on, slashreport.tumblr.com. Or you can find us on Twitter at Slash Report, or individual Twitters at Often Imprudent and M. Klutz. No, Moon Klutz. Why? M. Klutz is some dude named Matthew Klutz, who has not posted in like 10 years. Oh man, sorry Matthew Klutz. What you, whatever, Matthew Klutz is an asshole, how dare you hold on to that account. Somebody else also, who has a very similar username to you... You, what's your Gmail? Oh, like, my, my Gmail is moonclutz at Gmail, and the best is you always email mclutz at Gmail. I feel so bad for whoever that person is. They've gotten so many cocks and monsters, and like... <laughs> Just like terrible... You were, I get a lot of like, why didn't you respond to my amazing email? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And she'll tell me that she sent me the worst thing in the world. I'm like, no, that went to that person who owns the mclutz at Gmail email. It's the same way how for... Oh my gosh, this is great. We just found this out earlier this week. <laughs> where MK had like an alternate landline phone number for me. The, in my phone was marked as mobile. Yeah. Uh, and I had apparently been texting this number a lot and just been very curious that I hadn't been responding to her. And we realized after she sent a GIF of a, a rapidly erecting penis to it, that it is the office landline number for my last job. So let's all hope that no one can somehow see a landline number and get the gif off of it because... I don't think they can. No I, one really needs to know about... Yeah, and also to be fair, I mean, I've been texting them photos and other things for a while, including like, here's a photo of me in the dress you sent me. Yeah. So I'm sure that by now they're just like, it's that fucker again. The greatest thing about this, of course, is that while I was at that job and at that number, I would occasionally get a phone call and pick up the phone, and it sounded like a fax coming through, and I was like, what idiot fuckface keeps trying to fax this number? Turns out, it's it me. might have just been you trying to send me a text. But the great thing is, like, I had a whole separate iMessage chain of me actually yeah. texting you. But I would just, like, I have two first names for you in my phone. Nice. And so, you know, sometimes I would text the wrong you. Go team. Go yeah. team. Alright, we're actually wrapping this up now. Yeah, we have to end this. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you on the flip side. Bye! Bye!